This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life. Only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got the privilege of interviewing Molly Fletcher. Molly, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. It's good to be with you as well. So you are uh, what they call the female version of Jerry Maguire, I read. That, that's, a, that's a bold statement and a great movie. Uh, but uh, you are a sports agent turned keynote speaker. You're an author of five books, you know, The Energy Clock, Fearless at Work, just to name a couple of those, and doing a lot of great work and helping leaders and teams and organizations really become their best self. And so uh, excited to be with you today. So thanks for being here. So uh, so Molly, like we do on every show, if you could give us a little background or really what's made you the woman you are today and go back as far as you like. I mean, childhood is certainly a big part of, uh, of who we are, but uh, I'd like for you to answer that question if you can. Sure, you bet. You know, so I grew up uh, with two incredible parents and twin brothers that were five years older than me um, in Michigan, in Lansing, Michigan. And, you know, my brothers probably treated me a whole lot more like a little a little brother than a little sister. <laughs> and uh, so they, they, I think, gave me a little bit of that toughness, maybe, and a little bit of grit. Um, but so just a wonderful family. Went to Michigan State, played tennis there, graduated, wanted to get into the business of sports. So I moved to Atlanta to try to find a job in sports. I, you know, grown okay. up in East Lansing, went to state, you know, kind of grew up in this little sort of two mile, five mile radius, right? And I said, oh, you know what? I, I, there's a lot of opportunities coming to Atlanta and, and sports. The Super Bowl was coming, the Olympics, pro teams, sports teams. So I said, I'm going to go down there and find a job. And of mm. course, my parents thought, well, this will be interesting. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what's this going to look bad. like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I get down to Atlanta, live with a friend of mine. Long story short, negotiated a deal for free rent which gave oh, wow. me a, a little bit more time because I only had about two grand. I'd saved money after teaching tennis all summer in, in my hometown. And so I lived on the floor of a girlfriend's apartment for about a month and then negotiated this deal to teach tennis one night a week uh, for a reduced rate on my rent initially and then renegotiated and sort of got it down to, to full waived wow. uh, rent, which was awesome. It gave me a little bit more time, gave me an opportunity to be a little bit more selective. Yeah. Obviously, it removed a, a huge monthly not for me. So, and, and, and then sort of did a bunch of different odd jobs here and there, and then got a job with a small agency in Atlanta where I was responsible for going out and, and getting endorsement and appearance deals for the athletes and coaches that we had. We had four or five clients and it was at the time it was the Olympics. So Lenny Wilkins was the head coach oh, of the yeah. dream team. And, you know, I was young and I was Lenny's driver, right? So I would drive Lenny around at, at the Olympic games, right? I'd take him oh, to his wow. appearances. His, yeah you know, all is sort of Bell South at the time, all these different companies I would take me these appearances. And, and then at the end of that, I was trying to find endorsement deals and, and marketing deals for a couple, couple of the athletes we had. And I, I remember thinking, how are we going to grow? Like, what is our, I mean, we have four or five clients, but gosh, let's get bigger. I mean, let's go right. get more athletes and coaches. And 
So long story short, I went into the CEO of the business, a small, you know, company and said, Hey man, you know, what is our, how are we getting more clients? You know, that's where the opportunity right is to negotiate more contracts with, with talent. And he said, referrals, we get referrals from our coaches, our baseball guys. And I said, what if we got more aggressive? And so long story short, he blessed, you know, the opportunity for me to put a business plan together to go grow baseball. I started there and, you know, 15 years later, 300 wow. athletes, a team of agents and you know, it's just evolved from there and into the world that I'm in now. So it's That's been, incredible. It's been, so I'm from great. four or five athletes to 300 athletes and, and uh, to the rest of the world, those are some of the toughest, if not the toughest group to get into, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, they, well, they don't trust anybody, right? right? I mean, you know, they're hard to get to, they're hard to connect with because so many people want a piece of their time, their energy. You know, they, they've been, as they, as they get bigger and bigger and, and have more and more success, they get more and more skeptical of, of what people want. And so, yeah, it was a tough group to get in front of. But yeah. I think like everything in life, when we approach it authentically and, and truly with a servant heart, right. you, you can connect and, yeah. and, and you can evolve and grow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's huge. Congratulations on that. And I'd be curious to find out really when you thought about the business plan, I mean, did you see in advance 300, you know, 200, 300 clients? I mean, what did that business plan look like to you? You know, it, it looked like trying to over deliver in a particular vertical, right? It was how can I go out and, and start small? I mean, obviously I didn't go get A-Rod and Jeter out of the right. gates, right? I right. needed to go down to Georgia Tech and yeah. <laughs> beg a bunch of guys that were going to be first and second and third round picks to, yeah. to trust me and us. And so, you know, I started there and then I started at Georgia and then those guys would percolate through the minor league systems. And then I would, you know, try yeah. to spoil those guys rotten from a service perspective and with deals and opportunities. And then yeah. those guys would bring their buddies to dinner and, and, and those guys would say, oh, you know, your agent takes really good care of you. I mean, this is different than yeah. what I've seen everywhere else. And so, and then, and then sort of got that to a place where there was a little bit of a critical mass and then said, you know, I need help. I had a gap personally. I mean, I didn't play, you know, in the minor leagues. I didn't play pro ball. I didn't right. do those things. So I needed somebody that could speak a language and service our guys in a little bit of a different way that could have the conversation about the eight, you know, hour bus ride, yeah. <laughs> you know, the double switch in the bottom of the seventh, right? I mean, yeah. all those things that I wasn't as close to. So I hired actually a player that I had represented who'd been released to come help me grow baseball. And, huh. and then I thought, you know, that's fun, right? Let's right. go do right. this again. And so did it with golf. And then, you know, we had NBA coaches, college coaches think they want to be NBA coaches. And so then I went out and got college guys and, and, and gals and then, you know, went to the LPGA. So it just, you know, I, I, I'm definitely interested in goal setting. I think that's really important, but I also think it's important to get up every day and, and get after what, you know, I, I just had Simon Sinek on my podcast who wrote a book oh, called yeah. The Sinek Game. And, you know, I think that, yes, you can have goals and, and quarterly and metrics. And, and, and I had all of those, but at the end of the day, it was, how can I wake up every day over deliver to the, to the athletes and coaches that I have? And, and then from there, good things will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Treating people how you want to be treated, right? The golden rule. And I think if totally. you do that, you're above and beyond that. So I'd be curious. I just saw uh, somebody yesterday or today posted something about there's, they're trying to, you know, fight, not fight, but they're trying to uh, discuss, negotiate. There you go. Negotiate with the major league baseball player. These minor league guys, they're not making squat. No. They're doing these eight hour bus drives and, and all these. Oh things. yeah. So, didn't know if you had any thoughts. It's a on grind. That, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a grind. You know, I mean, I think that they've, they've got to believe in where they're going enough, want it enough to, to grind it through 
you know, what are often, you know, most of these guys aren't signing for 10 or 20 or 15 or 5 million bucks. Right. So most of them, you know, are coming in with, without a whole lot and they don't make a lot, as you said, but you know, like everything in life, even for business people, right. When, when we want something bad enough and we know where we're trying to go, then, you know, the, 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 the speed bumps along the way just become a part of the process and, and just a part of a way to, to continue to get better and keep going for it. And your belief system, right? Belief in yourself, belief in your process, belief in the grit you're talking about that your brothers gave you. And I remember graduating from college and I was going to go take this job in the financial services industry. And, and my, my, my big old base salary was zero, right? And so some people look at you like, why would you do that? Why would you go to college? Why would you work for free uh, and just go out and you know, eat what you kill? And yeah. at the same time, if you, if you have passion and belief and goal setting and strategy and all that stuff, it's amazing what you can build. So uh, those baseball players are doing the exact same thing. But when you when I looked at the list, it's on your website. People can go to it, mollyfletcher.com. Uh, it's got your, your some clients you represented over the years. John Smoltz, Matt Kuchar, uh, the PGA player, Aaron Andrews from Broadcasting, Tom Izzo, Doc Rivers, right? The list goes on and on. What did you learn from those people? Because maybe they're the one percenters, right? 99% of the people don't get to the level they've gotten to. But what did you learn from them? So much. I mean, so much, but I think, you know, as much as I was representing them, I was obviously learning so much being around people that woke up every day and had to execute, you know, on a world stage. And they were people that had, you know, people right behind them all the time that wanted their job, you know, and in business, we don't see that so closely per se, but you know, my athletes did. I mean, they, they, they'd see the guy in the minor league. So they'd see the golfers that were coming up on the leaderboard. Right. So they every day woke up and said, "I, I have got to continue to get better. So you know, they, they, the best believe in their ability to evolve. They, they always and consistently lean into change. They know that the, the discomfort, like we all get, right? We all get discomfort. The, the people listening to the show that are, you know, sales folks get discomfort when they're going in for a big pitch or trying to close a big piece of business. Yeah. But what I saw with the best athletes is they stepped into those moments because they knew on the other side of that pit in their stomach was an opportunity to get better, was an opportunity to grow. And, and as they did it more and more in the little moments, they got better in the big moments, right? I mean, yeah. we, you know, I saw all, all the, I saw all the practice rounds and all the little moments and the practices and the things that led up to, you know, pitching game seven of a world series or yeah. standing over a putt on a Sunday to win, you know, a million bucks in your first tour event. So, so they, they believe in their ability to, to evolve. They weren't afraid to discover gaps inside of themselves. They, you know, Kevin Durant's a guy who, you know, is always picking apart his game and himself so that he can get better. So, you know, I think the, the best are really, really clear on who they give their energy to uh, and, and who they don't. I mean, the, the, the best athletes know that their performance is so closely tied to the, their energy management. I, I had a minor league guy once that was, he was a first round guy. He was an absolute stud and I remember you know he was 18 years old came out of high school and I was sitting with him and and you know there was a lot of opportunities coming his way I mean there was you know appearances endorsement all this stuff and you know he said look Molly I know that if if I just crush it in my first year you know if I just go out there and 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 have success and if I can get myself to the big leagues as quick as possible all these things will still be there yeah and so the best athletes I've seen are are very intentional about their their energy management because it tra- ties directly to to performance they're disciplined they recover fast you know they 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 find themselves all the time i mean if they're pushing themselves they're going to fail 
They're going to miss shots. They're going to miss putts. They're going to miss cut, but the best don't miss three or four in a row. That's right. right? They, they, so they recover, uh, you know, fast. So, I mean, the list is long, but that's just a few things that, that come up for me that I learned. Well, I think that's huge too. I wrote down who they give their energy to. They're very clear about that. They're very intentional about energy management. You know, you're hearing a little bit more of that stuff, but I think it's so true because I think as leaders or athletes or whatever it is from the boardroom to the baseball field, you get pulled in so many different directions. And sure. I think what I'm, what I was working on in 2019 personally, as crazy as this sound is, but just the power of no, right? No, <laughs> yes. Don't say yes to everything. Yeah, but sure. that's hard to do, right? Because you want to be nice to people, you want to make people happy. But I have found Absolutely. that sometimes when I say no, it, el- right. it eliminates a lot of noise, but it allows me to be more focused and have more capacity on the things that I can control. Uh, yeah, no is a powerful thing. You know, no gives you an opportunity uh, to say yes to the things that matter most. That's right. Right. So yeah, and 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 that's hard. And I think the more success people have, the harder no becomes. Yep. Right. Because you have more stuff coming at you, but that's where the discipline, you know, comes in. I think that's where, you know, getting really clear on what matters most um, to you and, and that clarity, the byproduct of that is, is the courage and the discipline to say no. And then the result of that is, is, is the balance, right. That, that many of us are always striving for. Yeah. Well, and you said that I'm writing down right now is the clarity of what matters most. Do, do you have a process for you personally? I mean, do you slow down and think and, you know, whether it's meditation or journaling, what does that look like for you so I can get a lot of clarity around what matters most to me or to our listeners? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I think about this a lot as it relates to energy and I think that it's so important in life to align our value systems with where we put our time, where we put our energy. Right. I mean, I think so often you see people get to the end of their lives or the end of a, a week, right. Or a month or a day or a year and go, man, I have spent all this time on something that isn't really aligned with what matters most to me. And by the way, now all of the things that do matter most to me are fading away, right? Whether it's relationships, um, your health, your fitness, whatever that is. So, you know, for me, it's getting really clear on what are the things that, that increase your energy? You know, what are the things that are sort of energy neutral things? And what are the things that drain your energy? And then saying, how can I be intentional about scheduling the things that increase my energy into my life every day so that I show up with the kind of energy I need for the people in my life That's right. that matter most. Yeah. So how do you do that personally? When you, do you have like rituals? Do you have habits, things that you do to yeah. make sure you're clear on that? Well, one of the things I do, and I wrote a book about it that comes out January 1, on the, it's called The Energy Clock. And, and yeah. one of the things I do is I color code my calendar. So literally the things that energize me are green. The things that mm. drain my energy are red. And the things that are just energy neutral things you know, are orange. And, you know, I think that when we think about high production and or a life really more importantly of fulfillment, we want to have 80% of our lives be and our calendars be green. I I think if we're not intentional about, if we're not intentional about protecting our time, the world will decide for us where we spend our time and energy. And then we end up reacting to all these things in life and getting to the end of our days or weeks going, man, you know what I mean? I'm exhausted. I'm drained. I'm out of shape. My relationships are disheveled. So the, the, tactically what I do is I protect my time. I'm super intentional about my calendar and protecting my time and in turn my energy um, so, so that I can protect the relationships right in my life that, that really matter most. You know, tactically, um, meditation, obviously, there's so much data and, and study around that. Gratitude. I just had Sean Anchor on my podcast. Oh, yeah. and 
you know, happiness and gratitude, you know, journaling, um, all those things are, there's so much data that ties to how that impacts our happiness, which in turn impacts our ability to contribute to, to others, of course, yeah. which is what, you know, I believe matters most. Yeah. When you were, and you still are, you're on the grind, right? And so it's a different grind today than it was back when you were at four clients going to 300, of course. But what, what did you do to slow down and enjoy the moment? Or were you, were you good at that? Or were you say that was an opportunity looking back that you could have done a little better? Yeah, no, I am not very good at that. Um, I'm still <laughs> not a podcast on I'm that. I'm still huh? working on it, Brad. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, uh, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram three. And so for any of your listeners that, okay. that track this stuff, you know, and so, you know, I am all about achieving. And so I have put a lot of work into recognizing there is a really big difference between achievement and fulfillment mm. and it, spending a lot of time getting clear on my purpose Yep. And, and then trying to filter decisions through that purpose um, so that I'm intentional, you know, about my time. But it's such a fine line, right, between kind of continuing to push yourself to get better, continuing to push the people that you lead to get better, continuing to evolve and grow, to change, to, to experience, to be right. curious. Such a fine line between that and, and also saying you know, none of these external things make you happy, right? Like they don't make you happy. We know that, right? It, happiness comes from absolutely the inside out. So it's just a, you know, it's a constant and daily reminder to keep myself on track and, and centered uh, around yeah. that. It's hard to do that though, isn't it? I mean, when you're it's chasing really goals hard. and chasing dreams. Totally. Yeah, it's totally, it's really, really hard. But I think, you know, I think you've got to, it's this delineation that I constantly remind myself of, of, of fulfillment and achievement and recognizing the difference between those two things is, is so distinct. And then saying, how, how am I going to be intentional? And I've been so blessed to be around so many people that the world views as so successful. And then people that have studied, you know, performance and success. Yeah. And what we know is, is it's an inside out thing. And we know that gratitude and, and joy and, 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 and servicing others is what fills us all up. So, you know, it, it's, it's just being disciplined about keeping that front and center. Yeah. And to go back to that power of no that I was talking about this year, I mean, the, the biggest thing I have found, and it, it really connects with your calendar management, and I think you said 80% of the stuff really you want to go do. That's what yeah. I found. Like on Sunday nights, when I look at my calendar, I color coordinated as well. And I can see, okay, where is my energy suck in that week? Yeah. And it's amazing. And when you focus on no, how yep. much less energy suck you have. So that'd be a Absolutely. piece of advice I'd have for people is just look at your calendar and say, okay, how many things this week are, are things I don't quite frankly want to do or, or you yeah. know, want to have the energy to go do. So the less well, and less time is, we can get. Yeah. And time is finite, right? Like, yeah. you know, and so I, I couldn't agree more. And, I, and, and being intentional about saying, what are the things that bring me energy and how can I make sure that if I'm walking into something that's going to be an energy drainer, that I can ensure that I protect that thing, whatever those things are in your life that give you energy so that you, you, you can get through what I call the reds without hitting kind of bottom, right? But, yep. maybe, but maybe just grinding through those, yeah. those moments. Yeah. Dana Childs uh, was on a podcast a few, uh, maybe a month or two ago. She talked about your boundaries, set boundaries, and then 100%. don't let things go past those boundaries. Yeah, this is my core and, and values. Shift, yeah, and I, I think the shift for people that, that are listening to make is that, that I've always tried to make was when I'm saying no to 
you know, when I was an agent, I mean, I had to say no to certain things so yeah. that my husband and I have three daughters. Yeah. And so when I was saying no, I was saying yes to putting my daughters to bed that night or right. yes to, and, 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 and what you'll find is when you're in those moments where you said no to something and now you're laying in bed, reading your daughter a story before she goes to bed or you're at her sporting event or however old your kids are, you're, you're going to be in that moment with your children, for example, and you're going to be so pumped in that moment right. you made that decision. There's no doubt about it. I, that happened to me last week. I had something that I hadn't protected my time. I hadn't done a good job of protecting it. Something got dropped on. You know, I knew that my daughter had mentioned earlier that she wanted to go have dinner. Just she and I go get our nails done and go have dinner, yeah. just the two of us. And I moved this other call two or three days later and, and had that quality time with her. And I remember sitting there with her at dinner going, you know, thank goodness, yeah. because man, this is a hundred percent where I want to be right no now. No place you'd rather be. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and I think too, that's hard though, because when you were doing that stuff as the agent and that expectation, I would assume the expectation totally. is like, do you know who I am? Like I'm paying yeah. all this money and I'm this person. Um, you know, I expect you to be there, but I think yeah. would would you agree that when you say no to some of that, it actually kind of gets that respect to be more peer to peer? Yeah. And I think, you know, my strategy on that was, was how can I over deliver in all the moments that I can? Right. So, yeah. but, but then protect some really precious time, right. From six to eight or eight thirty at night, I would protect that time. But during the day or early in the morning, whatever it might be, those other moments, I would over deliver um, by anticipating so well for the athletes that I worked with, getting out ahead of them, getting in their head and heart consistently and, and, and just constantly over, over, over delivering so that when, if they ever went to my voicemail, they knew, man, she must be doing something pretty important because typically yeah. she's got my back, right? right? I mean, I had guys and gals call me at 1130 at night, you know, all, all the time. I mean, if they're yeah. on the West Coast or if they, you know, have a night game and they went three for four with a bomb in the bottom of the ninth to win the game, I mean, they want to call right. and, and talk about it. And so, you know, I was always there for them, but there was moments that were sort of non-negotiables and they respected that. Yeah. Uh, Scott Boris had a pretty good uh, last month, didn't he? I mean, my goodness, I think I saw he negotiate $800 million of contracts or something. Yeah, so, he, yeah, he's not struggling. No, he is not struggling. But that leads me to negotiation. So you are an expert negotiator. Where, where do you think the, the common man or woman, where are we failing when it comes to negotiating? Yeah, I think one of the biggest gaps to me is that we haven't been taught the skills to do it. And so we, we often find ourselves inside mm. of these conversations, which is what negotiation is, is just a conversation. You know, we find ourselves inside of these conversations that aren't linear, right? They kind of zigzag, they get right. weird, they come on and off. They, they can be at times obviously difficult. Because we haven't been taught a process, we get frustrated when we, le when we get into these moments because we aren't really sure how to navigate these moments. So I think that's one of the biggest gaps is not having been taught how to do it or how to navigate these difficult conversations in a way that drives connection, that increases the, the quality of the deal and, and, and yeah. maybe even helps you close them faster. Hmm, I like that. You're, it's so true, right? They're not teaching negotiations in uh, school or anywhere else. You just kind of baptism by fire and <laughs> and you learn. So, so walk me through this. So my philosophy is I, I'd rather roll up the sleeves and negotiate right there. So let's say you and I are, you know, try, I'm trying to bring you into visionary wealth advisors. Okay. You're trying to become an advisor in our firm. And it's not one of those, Hey, let's go think about it on I'll go to you go think about it. And then we'll come back. We'll strategize or two weeks from now, let's just roll our sleeves up. We have a relationship based on our values. What works for you? What works for me? 
and let's be fair to each other. Good, bad, ugly. What is that? How do you feel about that when you hear that? Well, I, I don't think, I think that one of the mistakes people make is that they think negotiation has to happen all at once. And, and I think negotiation is all about connection. It's mm. all about the relationship yep. and that the stronger the relationship, the easier it is to navigate yep. one, two, five conversations that you have to have. So to me, it's all about how do you really find common ground and know who you're dealing with? I think, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make in negotiating is they don't know who they're negotiating with right? Is the person super worried about money? Or are they more worried about the logistics? Are they super relational? Are they so tri What style of negotiator kind of are you dealing with? And what most That's importantly, good. what matters most to them? I think it's counterintuitive, but when we negotiate and, and we want to bring somebody into your firm, for example, it's, it's, it's saying, you know, how can I begin to add value to, to their lives? I, I mean, it's so counterintuitive to think about, but I think we can almost recruit the people that we want to negotiate with. Right. Because if we add value to their lives, if we find connection with those individuals, when people like us, they want to work with us. I think yeah. at the core, when we think about negotiation, I remember this all the time with general managers or manufacturers in the golf space. People are thinking when you're negotiating with them, do I like you? Can right. you help me? And do I even trust you? Yeah. I, and, and if none of those things are yes, I don't even think there's much of an opportunity there, you know, in the first place. So you know, preparation is incredibly important. Getting inside of what's really in play inside of these conversations yeah. is important, you know, and then tactically things like getting curious when you find disconnection. We, we, we have a negotiation training program and we teach this in, in, in our process, but we teach people how to, how to really get curious when you find disconnection. I think a lot of times when we get frustrated with people that we're negotiating with, we kind of, we want to just come at them, right? We yeah. want to get, we want to get aggressive. We want to get loud. We want to do, to me, that's exactly when you get really curious because the more that you can get curious, the more questions you ask, the more that you understand what's going on inside of them, the more mm -hmm. that drives connection. Yeah. So I always say turn defensiveness into curiosity. Hmm. I like that. And I, it makes me think too, you said relationship focus, right? We call it values and vision aligned and, and so, sure. you know, it's like the, the, my kids train, right? The two magnets, they're either going to click or they're going to yeah. repel each other. And, and I yeah. find in my world that if we can't get those things to connect, it's, it's not going to work and it's not yep. going to work at all. So I, I couldn't be more in line with that. So talk to us about um, leadership and, and kind of that it factor, if you will. Do you believe, are you born with it or do you learn it along the way? I think you can absolutely learn it. I mean, I think there's no doubt about, but I think it's also a, a, a skill that we want to keep working on, that we want to continue to, to lean into ways that we can continue to improve. I mean, one of the things when I interview incredible leaders or I talk to great you know, leaders and, and even some of the best coaches in the world, they are so always so curious about how to get better. They're ferocious yeah. learners. I mean, they're just constantly digging in and peeling it back. I mean, Tom Izzo was one of my clients, the men's basketball coach at Michigan State and like Tom is not afraid to pick up the phone and call anybody right. that that is having success he'll pick up the phone and call a woman's softball coach if she's had great success that season and mm. she can help them or or a women's basketball coach or a you know or, or a leader an executive I mean so I think leadership is a skill that absolutely we can learn but I think it's one that we've always got to continue to polish right. and improve on so that we can get better and, and, and in part get the best out of the people, you know, that we lead, obviously, which is, which is the goal.
Well, think about that too from Tom Izzo. You're one of the best college basketball coaches ever. And the humbleness and the humility to then pick up the yeah. phone and call, and like you said, that softball coach and learn. Yep. That well, softball coach they- probably like, who is this? <laughs> you like, what, yeah. What's happening yep. right now? Right? Yeah, for sure. But, but that's what, you know, Tom does a lot of things that I admire. I mean, one of the things he does with his players at the beginning of every season, which is super cool. And I think this translates to, to, to business leaders, to sales leaders is he sits his players down at the beginning of the season and he gives them a three by five card. And he says, look, I want you to tell me what does success look like for you this season? What do you want? Hmm. What is, what would make at the end of the season, when you look back, you say, man, we crushed it, right? We had a great year. And, and he gets all kinds of stuff on these cards, right? From guys, right? He gets, you know, win a national championship, be the big, win a big 10 championship, graduate an all American, get drafted into the NBA, you know, all this stuff. He gets all this stuff and he pulls each guy in one at a time and he walks through those things. He says, mm. so you want to win a national championship. And then he basically, you know, says to them, well, look, if, if I'm going to be a good leader for you, if I'm going to be a good coach for you and you say you want to win a national championship, then my role in that would be to, to ensure that like, if you're not at a workout, uh, you, you want me to get after you for that. Or if, right. if you're not hustling down the, down the court in a, in a big game, you want me to get after you. I mean, he basically, you know, or you want to graduate an all American and your, your professor calls me and tells you me that, mm. you know, that you've been skipping class. He says, so you want me to hold you accountable for that? Cause all Americans typically aren't skipping classes. Yep. So he gets, permission to hold his athletes accountable and if you've ever seen Izzo in, in, in a you know huddle with his guys I mean he's intense it's it uh, you think I mean it's like his head's gonna come off of his body right he's going nuts and so but his guys love him like if you ever talk yep. to any of the players that have ever gone on to the NBA they're all back there in a heartbeat they'll pick yep. up the phone and call any recruit for Tom so he he loves him he puts his arm around him but he gets after him and holds him accountable. To me, it's a really powerful strategy for all of us. Yeah. When you think about the most people you respect, I mean, you being a tennis player in college and, and going on the success you've had, you, you think of the one or two or three people that have, have meant the most to you in your life. They're probably the ones that have challenged you the most as well. Absolutely. Right. No question. I mean, yeah. I remember, you know, and, 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 and right at the top of that list for me is my parents. I mean, my, I remember coming home from school one day and, and they were so loving and amazing and just literally, I believe, perfect yeah. in, in the way that they, they, they did what they did. And, and I, I tell you, I remember coming home and I was so pumped. I got an A minus on this physics exam and, and only four people got an A and most right. everybody got below an A minus. And I came home and I'm like, mom, it's unbelievable. You're not going to believe this. I said, I got an A minus on my physics <laughs> exam and only four people got an A. And she smiled and she said, honey, that is awesome. She said, what do you think the people that got an A did? Mm. So those moments, and, and, she, and, and she said it, some people might hear that and go, whoa, that's, that's cold, right? Right. But she said it in a way, and, and she always did things like that in a way that it was, she was genuinely curious and trying to help me think about, what do you think those people did? And it and, and, and always challenged me to think, you know what, there, there is always kind of a little bit more in all of our tanks. That's right. I like that. So talk to me about fear. Has fear played a, a big role in your life? I mean, the fear of failure or just fears at, at all? Yeah. You know, I think fear is the biggest blocker to performance uh, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, when we allow fear to settle in uh, and, and not allow our purpose or our passion to suffocate it, which to yeah. me is powerful, um, it can really block us. So, you know, I, 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 I will say honestly, fear, I, I, for whatever reason, um, 
haven't really ever been that afraid of failure. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if that was the tennis or the sports or, yeah. you know, it, always jumping into a wrestling match with my brothers and dad, <laughs> knowing that I could end pretty bad. Right. I, I, I think, but I do think it's a problem today. I think that we live in this world where social media and all these things present this image of perfection, which is certainly not the case. Oh, and I think yeah. if we're pushing ourselves and if we're getting uncomfortable, uh, we're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, failure is, is a wonderful thing. It's feedback. I mean, it's feedback on how, how we can get better. And, and we see athletes particularly be pretty comfortable with recognizing that failure is a part of growth. And, and they use these moments when they fail as, as a driver to, 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 to more success, to, to, to growth. So I, I would just challenge people to recognize that um, when, when we are pushing ourselves, we're going to fail. And, and that's okay. That that's some right. of the greatest moments that I can ever remember from a growth perspective is when I failed. It's, it's tennis matches that I lost, business right. that I didn't get, athletes that I went after that I didn't sign, you know, deals that didn't go the way they should have gone. Those are the ones actually that I've learned, you know, the most from. Most from so yeah. it's a powerful thing. And in the moment, it feels like a big deal. But when you look back, if you can learn from it, then it's not failure. Absolutely, 100%. What, uh, when you look back in your career, and again, lots of success and, and have helped tons of people and still helping tons of people, and what advice would you give the Molly Fletcher of maybe 10, 15 years ago? What would you tell her? You know, such a good question. I, I think trust yourself, trust your heart, trust your gut. You know, the, the only thing, I, you know, I, I wish I would have left the agency business a little bit sooner and leaned into right. this space that I'm in now that I love and feel so fulfilled in. And I loved the agent space so, so much. Um, but I really love the place that I am yeah. now and, and the opportunity to, to, to talk to incredible people on my podcast or to impact other people's lives yeah. in awesome ways. I'm just grateful for that. And and so, you know, to have leaned into that maybe a couple years earlier is, is, is the biggest thing. Um, but g- gosh, I mean, there's a long list of things that I know I could have learned uh, at 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely true. So how do we uh, unleash our potential? When you look at uh, all the work you're doing with people, uh, how do we do that? Well, I think, you know, and I speak a lot. I speak about 60 days a year or 70 days a year on 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 performance. And, you know, to me, it's, it's really about believing in our ability to evolve. It's, it's truly, if we want to get better and unleash the best version of ourselves, we've got to believe that we can change and believe yeah. that there's more inside of us to evolve. I think we've got to discover the gaps inside of ourselves. You know, Brene right. Brown, who I respect so much, discusses, you know, talks about vulnerability is courage. And so having the courage in, in, in whatever space we're in, and, and we're seeing it more, right? Pete Carroll, we're seeing right. it with with people that aren't supposed to be vulnerable, right. they're vulnerable. Um, so discover the gaps inside of ourselves so we can get better, get clear on who we give our energy to. Um, you know, I, I am a huge proponent that relationships drive our business success, recognizing that relationships are an integral part of our ability to show up as the best version of ourselves as leaders, um, as salespeople. I think we've got to be disciplined in our ability to recover fast. That to me is imperative. I think in the world that we live in today, where it's so hard to be present, we have to be disciplined about being yeah. present. You know, we come home to the people that matter most in our lives and, and sometimes we're not locked in and, you know, putting all this stuff down so that we can be present for the people in our lives yeah. 
that matter most to me is key. But I, I do believe that if, if, if we wake up every day recognizing that we are not the center of the universe, that our, our, we are here as a vessel and a vehicle to give and serve other people that, that will, will live a life of, of fulfillment. That's good. So when I, when I throw this little thing up right here, <laughs> what's your relationship your like with the phone? you have any hacks, any things you can help that great leaders you're finding are doing with these things? Well, you know, I, I mean, I did an interview with Cal Newport on deep work. Mm. And, um, you know, I had another guy on that wrote a book called Indistractable. I mean, I think what the best do is they know how to park it. Uh, they know how to be disciplined about that. They know how to, there's an app that I just learned about yesterday. I haven't even used it yet, but it's called Forest. But it Forest. allows you to sort of put your phone down. It grows a tree. It plants a tree and grows a tree. But if you pick your phone up, the tree dies. Oh, <laughs> man. So it sort of helps you, I guess. I haven't tried it yet, but lock in on you know, on, on whatever work you're doing. So, you know, to me, the biggest challenge that I have with technology is, is it's so, it can be, if you allow it to be so distracting, it yeah. allows you not to do deep work and really focus for a long period of time. And there's so much data that Cal talks about in his book, Deep Work, about, you know, the power of locking in over a period of time on a particular project and the impact that has on our work. Yeah. Deep, deep focus. That's good. So um, right now, if I could eliminate, you know, time and money and all those kind of things for you and, and where does Molly Fletcher want to be spending um, her time right now? What do you want to impact most right now? You know, to me, I wake up every day and say, how can I inspire, lead and, and, and connect with others, um, you know, with, with curiosity and passion. And if I can wake up and do those things, whatever that might be. It could be on my podcast. It could be in a keynote. It could be in a book. It could be with my, with my daughters. It could be in all of those yeah. moments for my husband. Then, then that, that to me feels amazing. The vehicle by which that's happening is the less important. The most important to me is that I'm inspiring, leading and connecting with, with yeah. courage and, and certainly with optimism. So my last question here for you, if uh, I believe your husband's name's Fred, is that correct? It is. It is Fred and your three daughters. If, if, we, yeah. if we just kicked you to the side of the screen here and we set yeah. those four people down, what words do you hope they describe about mom or about their wife? Yeah, that's cool. You know, uh, I think my husband would say, uh, Fred would say, you know, she's, she's really disciplined and intentional um, with her time that, uh, I, that I go sometimes maybe, you know, a little bit too quick and too hard and that I need to always, and he's really good for me because he helps sort of chill me out and slow me down a little <laughs> bit, which is, right. which is helpful. You know, my girls would probably say, you know, that, that they are uh, an, an, an absolute center of our world and, and they know that, right. That I just love them and, and, and care about them so deeply. And, you know, I mean, I've, I found myself at times where I go, you know, right now I really kind of have rules where I only travel. I'm only out one, you know, with a keynote speaking sort of circuit, right? I, I'm disciplined about being home, mm. certainly more than I'm being away. And it's easy to keep saying yes, right? And go. Right. And, and um, But they would say that, you know, probably we, th th they have said this before, man, mom, we wish you just didn't love us so much. <laughs> you love us right. too. You're too, you know, you're too into us, right? And yeah. And uh, so they probably would want me to be a little less locked in, I think. But to me, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that is an important part of ensuring I'm, you know, I, and I tell my girls all the time, I'm, I'm like the guardrails on the highway for you. Daddy and I are like the guardrails, right? That's you right. know, like we're, we're just going to kind of keep you on the highway and, and, and make sure you don't go off the rails. Right. So 
That's right. So that's a that's incredibly important. But I don't know. I mean, we can do another show and you that's can right. put them right here and, <laughs> and see what they say, man. Maybe it's that's different. Right. Yeah, we'll let you tune in. Maybe, maybe. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. And you can absolutely see your love for them. I mean, those that are watching this can see it, but those that are listening, when yeah. you see Molly's face, you beam up, you're smiling from ear to ear. I mean, you can see the love and the passion you have for them and, and also your work as well, but your family uh, is yeah. really important, which I think as a leader, I'm the same way. My family is everything to me. I'm actually yeah. at home. I don't know if you could tell a little bit ago, I was kind of smiling and looking up if you're watching because my five-year-old was standing here for about five or six minutes, kind of like, awesome. yeah, just listening and, but like totally quiet. I'm like, Oh man, I think, I hope he doesn't just come in here and start yelling, but that it's so cool, cool because we got to focus on our family and if we can get good stuff to them, it's a, uh, it's a big, big deal. Well, yeah. Cause we can't get this back. I mean, we no. can't, you know, and that was always my strategy when we had three kids in 12 months, Brett. So we had oh. one and then 12 months later we had twins. And my strategy always was to, to try to help find anybody around me that could do everything but raise my yeah, kids. Right. You know, go to the grocery store, get the cleaning, right? Clean out whatever, anything that we can throw resources against, however it looks, right? I'd live in a shoebox and throw resources against that so that I could be present with, right. with, with the family. We could have another podcast too, because I have four boys, so I know nothing about raising girls <laughs> and, and maybe you're the opposite here of, uh, Boys and girls, they're different, but, uh, but fun. So, well, where can yeah. our listeners find more of Molly Fletcher? Yeah, for sure. So mollyfletcher.com. Uh, there's a ton of stuff there. I have a book coming out in January called The Energy Clock. That's theenergyclock.com. But if you go to mollyfletcher.com, everything sort of everything's right there. feeds off of that. Yeah. Great social media follow as well. Love all the stuff you're putting out. So thanks so much, Molly, for being on the Circuit of Success. We greatly appreciate what you've done for our listeners today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Brett. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.